uh hi everyone welcome back to real perspective the podcast based on a youtube channel based on a podcast as always i'm your co-host mj smith i'm missy longfinger and it's just us today yeah. we got a two-hander uh for you guys uh we had a guest but uh they needed to cancel so we're going forward with just uh uh at half strength as it were <laughs> um but we're here to talk about seasons one and two of what i think is one of the best shows on television right 100%. now um the bear um which is a show about people running a sandwich restaurant in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> that's what it's qu- like on paper about, right? So right. Uh, The Bear is a show about this guy named uh, Carmen Brazado, or People call him Carmi. His brother passes away, and he inherits his brother's Italian beef sandwich shop in Chicago. Uh, Carmi is like a michelin starred chef nominated for james beard awards like a high level fine dining chef and the show more or less is about him bringing that sensibility in season one bringing those like that sense of discipline and sensibility to the sandwich shop and season two is about them kind of rebranding the sandwich shop as a fine dining establishment that also sells the beef sandwiches out of the back uh like the service window mm-hmm. of the shop um so there's a little bit it's mainly like a family drama more or less because his family is like pretty dysfunctional and he's they've got a lot of unresolved trauma and grief processing that they are trying to do but then also it's about workplace dynamics as well Mm -hmm. um and just like i mean honestly just like how hard it is to run a restaurant because i think we can take that for granted Mm -hmm. um so there's jeremy allen white as carmy the titular bear uh, Eben Moss Bacharach as Richie, uh, or cousin. We'll probably call mm-hmm. him cousin a lot. <laughs> um, uh, and then the third, writing out like the three leads. Uh, I have never heard her name said out loud, so I'm going to do my best. Yeah. I think it's Ayo Edabri. That's Edabiri. That right. Ayo Edabiri. And um, she plays Sydney, who is a sous chef that he hires on um, at the beginning of the season. So she's kind of the audience conduit, right? Of like, she is the new kid on the block in the restaurant. Um, <clears throat> despite Carmi inheriting it, he grew up around it. He knows all these people. Sydney is just like, what the hell is going on with in all the chaos? So <clears throat> season one is like pretty personal to the characters as far as like them just like establishing a workflow dynamic that works for them. Yeah. And then season two is like an evolution of that. Um, but yeah, Missy, what do you think about the bear? I love The Bear. I completely agree. I think it's one of the best shows on television right now. And, I mean, at this point, I know we talked about it on the last episode, film is kind of fallen by the wayside as far as new things being produced. But this is such a, a freaking, like, golden age of television with, like, this and Barry and, <clears throat> excuse me, like, Succession. There's just – and even – only murders there's just so much good television happening and yeah. you would think this could get lost in the shuffle but it absolutely doesn't um it's man it's just so good and it's short for people who don't yeah. want to you know dick around with like an hour Me? long show yeah no exactly there's just there's too much to watch for hour long shows yeah. so it's yeah. it's short sweet to the point um yeah i mean pretty much what you said it's it's on its surface like a really good depiction of restaurant life from my understanding i mean from people i've talked to um 
like very down to the nitty gritty of like you know taxes and funds for you know produce mm-hmm. versus whatever so it's it's mm-hmm. very good in that aspect but then also just such a good character driven study of like like you said processing trauma and addiction and mental illness and familial issues and stuff like that like it's truly like this everyman show that's kind of like it it looks like a prestige show but it's really just like an everyman show at its core about this guy just kind of trying to get through and get through the shit that he has to deal with while also trying to make you know his restaurant a better place and stuff it's it's so good and the performance is stellar writing stellar it's just yep not a bad note anywhere yeah i mean it's 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 just really a show about a guy trying to do his best right, right? like like very much every man yeah very very every man very working class i mean we rarely see him outside of like a white t-shirt and jeans and an apron yeah like you know this is a man with like he is dedicated to his craft certainly but mm-hmm. like he's also just trying to figure this shit out and also his brother just died you know like yeah. that's a source of grief and trauma and his brother died of addiction mm-hmm. um and um well more or less right he uh sure. do we know how michael died he killed himself right and then he, but he it was killed probably himself. due okay so it wasn't like an overdose but his depression that led to his suicide it yeah. stems from his addiction the, the venn diagrams between that kind of stuff is like almost a full circle when it comes yeah right. with like he had like i think a pain pill addiction but then ended up i believe shooting himself okay yeah 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 um and so we don't get a lot like a lot of michael in the show he's more of like this ghost that haunts the show Mm -hmm. um but we see a little bit like we see glimpses into carmy and michael's relationship in flashbacks and then what carmy says there's he has this big monologue at the oh yeah finale Mm -hmm. yeah he goes to an al-anon meeting um and he has this big monologue at the end, I think it's like seven minutes or something. It, no, it is. Um, I was just looking it up today to rewatch it. I was like, is this really seven minutes? Because it, it both clips and lasts forever, but it's it's wonderful. Yeah. 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 Um, and so Michael's played by John Bernthal, which uh, I think is, it. if you're going to have a character show up for just a little bit, I think you're legally required to have it be John Bernthal these days. Um, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> he's the guy said everything but just for like a little bit yeah um we get a it's little perfect, bit though. more of an insight yo he's great like he's it's great casting he's like the perfect dude for that because he's he's established himself as like a guy who can do rage pretty well sure and like michael's a, clearly a very angry sad person yeah obviously. um <clears throat> and so that dynamic is really interesting but Mm-hmm. I just think everything about it, like you said, works. Like it's 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 interesting. It's a world that like a lot of people can relate to, and a lot of people can't relate to all at the same time, right? Yeah. Um, but like, okay, so I really like cooking, and I really like food. Same. <laughs> um, and I watch a lot of food, like food related YouTube videos. Like I'm always watching cooking videos. I've always watched cooking shows when I was a kid. On yeah, Food Network. for sure. Um, I've always been really interested in cooking, but I've never worked in a restaurant because it seems so stressful. Oh yeah. I could never. Um, Yeah. I could never like, I like making food at my own pace. Uh Like I could never be, you know, even if you go to like a waffle house, right? Like, have you ever been to Mm -hmm. a waffle house? That's wild. No, not a waffle house specifically. That's, I always see like news videos. People are like fighting each other and throwing things like chairs back at the chefs. It's like, what? Sure. I mean, that's not what I'm talking about, though that does happen at waffle houses. Um, Just like watching the chefs back there, right? Mm. Like, 
just go to town because the the waffle house the grill is totally open there is not a back to waffle houses and so like you go up to the counter and you order and directly behind them they're making the food Mm -hmm. um and like breakfast is one of the busiest times for any restaurant Mm -hmm. uh if you have a breakfast menu and like just watching how they work is incredible to me i've always been fascinated by it and also to give it a more local feel uh for our hometown leo's has that oh, yeah, for a sure. little bit leo's is great. um yeah and leo's is awesome leo's is one of my favorite breakfast places in our it's hometown so good. uh it's yeah i'm glad it's is it still kicking yes i man their, yeah. their breakfast burrito is my favorite in town it's so good absolutely <laughs> they have the best breakfast burrito in town by a mile yep. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like if you go up and order, like you can see the cooks working back there. Yeah. Um, and it's a lot, like it seems so stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Christopher Storer is the guy who created this. He created it because he used to live in Chicago and he befriended the proprietor of this Italian beef sandwich shop called Mr. Beef. Um, so the beef, the set for the beef is modeled one to one, uh, oh, after wow. his shop. Um, and so, you know, uh, I've seen clips of, I've, some of the food YouTube people that I watch have gone to Mr. Beef and like talked to the owner. Um, and then the other part of that is Christopher Storer's sister is a chef. Yeah. Um, as well. So he kind of married those two things of like his favorite. What if there was a Michelin starred chef that had to come into this sort of like, you know, more blue collar hand food, um, service and like yeah well, in reading, a certain way get back to his roots you know yeah I, I was reading he also grew up in a family of like addiction and, and i was like yep yeah, makes sense mm. yeah it makes sense yep. yeah that because it feels very lived in right oh like, yeah it feels very 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 real mm-hmm. um but yeah it's uh so there's uh, what do you think is the thing that caught on about it right because what we're talking about is pretty universal stuff so why like what what sets this apart from anything else that has tackled these issues, right? It's not the first show to deal yeah. with restaurants. It's not the first show to deal with interpersonal, like, group dynamics. It's not the first show to deal with losing someone to addiction or grief and trauma processing. So, like, why did it become such a thing? Because I, rem- I know how I came to the bear. And I came to the bear through its producer, Maddie Matheson, who also mm-hmm. plays FAC. Because um, oh, I watch his YouTube videos... Yeah. And he's he's a chef. Maddie Matheson is like a chef from Canada. He's very loud. He makes me laugh a lot. Mm-hmm. I watch his YouTube videos. That's how I learned about the bear because he was like a producer on it and is in it. And I was like, well, I like Maddie Matheson and I like his work. I'm going to check out this show. Mm-hmm. So I came to it like from a very strange angle. Sure. Um, you know, because like, here's the thing. YouTube, very popular. Not as popular as people like to think it is. Mm-hmm. Like... It like, have, like a million people watching you on YouTube sounds like a lot, but then you remember like sixty million people watch the finale of Seinfeld or some shit. Right, you know? right. Like it's it's not as popular as traditional forms of media. Mm-hmm. Still, I heard about it from you. I think I remember you telling <laughs> oh, okay. about it and how stressful it was. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. I remember watching it and just that first episode, I was like, "Yep, he was right." <laughs> very very stressful. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know why it, it took off. Like, I mean, like you said, like there's, there's been cooking things, there's been trauma things. I don't know if it's the specific blend and they just got just a a magic secret sauce of, of great actors and great Mm -hmm. writing 
and I mean, even like the music that they use is great with it. It's, I don't, they, sorry, there's like a lot of thoughts coming out right now, but it's like, I mean, it, it just goes to show like something very basic, like a basic human need of how do I deal with this and just try to keep living and try to do good with what I have is, is never going to be a bad story to tell, especially if you tell it well. And with this, like, they're just very specific with the, the setting they chose, which happens to be a restaurant and they chose really, really, really good actors to do it. So, I mean, yeah. I don't know that it's, like, remarkable in the sense that it's, like, a new and unique idea being brought to the, the, the small screen or whatever. But it's just, it's done so well. It's like getting, like, a, a super delicious, well-made hamburger. It's not going to blow your mind as being, like, this new dish no one's heard of. But when you do it super fucking well, it's like, oh, my God, this is the best thing ever. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with the editing of the show rewatching oh, yeah. some of the episodes today mm-hmm. i was like oh this is perfectly edited yeah. right because the first two episodes of that are some of the most stressful episodes of television i have ever seen in my life until you get to, to the, the point christmas where, like, episode <laughs> yeah and so the, i remember watching the first two episodes and being like look this is incredible i don't know if i can deal with this mm. like just my anxiety level watching it like it is like to me, it is more stressful than anything that happens in Uncut Gems. Mm. And it is clear that Uncut Gems was a huge point of reference for the people who made the bear. Sure. Um, it almost yeah. feels like Uncut Gems had to happen in order for the bear to happen. Like, it almost feels like that movie was the sort of um, Rosetta Stone for Christopher Storer unlocking the way in which to approach this show. Yeah, I um, like it. Yeah, and it works, but it only works for those first two episodes, right? Because mm-hmm. after the like in the third episode and beyond until the seventh episode of season one, it kind of calms down a little bit, right? Because mm-hmm. the first two episodes are so breakneck. Oh yeah, like it is just stuff happening for an hour, and it leaves on a like episode one leaves on a little bit of a cliffhanger mm-hmm. to where like you kind of have to watch episode one and two as a as a unit. Yes, and it's a lot. And so like, but now that I think about it, it's edited. Like that's a feature, not a bug because you oh, watch sure. the first two episodes and you're like, okay, I need a break from this show. Yeah. And then you take a break from it and it lets you marinate in the first two episodes and be like, okay, here's how all these people are connected. Like it makes you think about it. Right. It is so aggressive that it can't help but stick in your brain. Yes. And then when you come back and from the break, the show slows down. Right. Right. Like it, it, it also understands that you needed a break and like the show proper starts at episode three, Mm -hmm. but the first two episodes aren't like just world building shit, right? Like you get a lot of the characters and you get a sense of who these people are from the first two episodes. Oh, right off the bat. Immediately. Yeah. It's, it's some of the best, like, man, I just thinking about the, the pilot cause I just rewatched it this morning. Like, their delivery of exposition, because there is a lot. You have a lot of characters. Mm -hmm. Uh, The way that they deliver exposition, the backgrounds of everybody, is done so masterfully and in no way is, like, holding your hand. You just really have to be paying attention. So it trusts its audience to be – and you have to watch because it's such fast cuts of just everything happening all at once. Um, But, yeah, no, it's – I agree. Those first two episodes are so aggressively stressful – 
And not only is it a nice break when it slows down by episode three, but it's like those first two were so striking in how stressful they were. It's not like you've forgotten that now that it's slowed down, you're like, oh, now everything's cool and it's easy for them. It's like kind of that that anxiety and fear is lingering in the back of your mind as you're watching it because you know Mm -hmm. you've now seen and experienced for two episodes in a row how stressful that situation is. It's just it's so (laughs) perfect. It's such a perfect way to establish just that world and that setting. Yeah, and it's it's interesting, right? I was having this conversation with someone last night about world building. And, like, we were talking about Dune and fantasy novels and mm-hmm. how, like, the world building of that. And he, I realized something, which I don't think I've realized about me, myself before, which is, like, I'll give a fuck about world building. Um, <laughs> I would much rather have something be character-driven than world-driven. Sure. Um, and so, like, I was reading... Or for spooky season this year, I read The Exorcist for the first time. I listened to the audiobook. Mm-hmm. And it's fantastic. And like the movie's great, mm-hmm. but the book is so good. And I realized this because it's so character driven. Like even yeah. the movie's pretty character driven. Oh yeah. Um, and I think that's just my favorite type of storytelling is to let the character, like throw the characters into this world and have them deal with it. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I'll figure out the rest along the way. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we don't really get a sense of Chicago, right? Like I have never been to Chicago and Chicago definitely plays an important role in the bear, but like, there's no world building of what Chicago is in this show. Right. And like, if you're kind of a food nerd, you are pretty up to date on like, you know, regional cuisine and sh- stuff. Yeah. But like the Italian beef is a Chicago staple. Like that is, that is, you know, akin to something like um, a Chicago style hot dog even. Right. Sure. Like they're, they're kind of neck and neck um, or New York style pizza. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the Italian beef is something that is one of Chicago's claims to fame. So if you are interested in the food world, you have that, you at least have a little bit of that information up front and it just trusts you to know that, right? Like, yeah, it's clear that this is a place that has a lot of regulars. It's clear that this is a place that has an established system, right? Like that's mm-hmm. what Tina keeps screaming about at the, the system, first yeah. episode is the system, the system, like shit works. Like if it's not broke, don't fix it. Why are you trying to make us all call you chef? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, don't wipe your hands on your apron. Like, like he's establishing these rules that have not existed in the beef and the beef has gotten by. Yeah. Um, but it's not been profitable. No. Right. And so, and gets like, the thing health, is like the health inspector immediately, <laughs> like gives him a C and stuff. Right. Right. Like, it is, it is getting by in the sense that, like, if I make something at home mm-hmm. and give it to my friends, they're probably going to like it because I'm a decent cook, sure. right? Like, I'm not a bad cook. I cannot cook at the level of someone in a kitchen somewhere. Right, right. <laughs> You know, like, you know, and so uh, it, they're, they're getting by on, like, 25 years of consistency, right? Mm-hmm. They're sort of a... There's sort of a Starbucks in that way, right? Like Starbucks doesn't have good coffee, but if I go to Starbucks here mm-hmm. and then I go to Starbucks in Chicago, I know what I'm getting yeah. at least, right? I'm not rolling the dice on a local place that may have bad coffee. Mm-hmm. I know what I'm getting, right? And so it's established that like the beef is that, right? Like it's probably not the best Italian beef sandwich in Chicago, but it's good enough and it's the price point is good enough. Yeah, it's that... like... Oh, go for it. 
Oh, that that like it has a consistent stable of regulars that keep them afloat. But that's all they're doing. Right. I was gonna say it's like those restaurants. If if you or anybody else uh, has watched like Kitchen Nightmares, it's the same mm-hmm. story with those. Where it's like at one point they probably were at the top of their game, uh, and then complacency mm-hmm. hit, and, and you know time happens, and and things like that. And it's like, you know, Gordon Ramsay comes in and, and fucks shit up. But it's always the same thing where it's like they, they still have a steady flow of customers just basically because they've always had a steady flow of customers, not because they're great. And then, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. But I wanted to go back to something you had said, how you like you don't necessarily care about world building, but you like character driven stuff. And mm-hmm. it was occurring to me as you were saying it. I'm like, it's because the world in this sense, like, is a character in it. Like, yeah. And so, like, when you're establishing it, not not in like, oh, God, Dune, just having to take that that long elaborate time <clears throat> to just dump exposition on you but just letting it be a part <clears throat> excuse me sorry like any other character where it's just it's kind of there in the moment the restaurant is there we're getting those shots of like sauce dripping off is like it looks like fires mm-hmm. are happening and things are like drifting towards the burners and it's just it's so well established without having to take the time to sit there and be like this is the world of chicago and chicago beef it's just you're thrown in just like any of the other characters right. are thrown in and i love right. it right and that's it's the same in the exorcist book right like it mm-hmm. takes place in um dc and like I don't need to know what DC is like. Like I'm American. I have a sense of, I've never been to DC, but I have a sense of what the, I mean, it's a major metropolitan right. area in America, right? They're all kind of the same. Mm-hmm. And so like, there's parts of DC that like make its way in like Georgetown university is a big character in the book and stuff like that. Yeah. And like, it's an interesting setting for a story like that because you can then put these people into right it's an unfamiliar setting to a lot of the characters specifically chris and father karis because Mm -hmm. father karis is from new york and chris is also from new york i think i think and but she's filming a movie so she's from new york she lives in la and then she's in dc and dc like yes they're all kind of the same but they're all a lot different too right Mm -hmm. like um so it's just an interesting way to like take a place that we don't set a lot of things, especially for a story like the exorcist, which is largely non-political. Yeah. Right. Like most of the stuff we have that takes place in DC is all about the politics oh, yeah. of DC because that's the, the nation's capital. Mm-hmm. This has almost nothing to do with it. Um, and so to take that and put these characters who are transplants into this unfamiliar setting and then have like a very unfamiliar experience happen to them, mm-hmm. it puts you on edge a little bit more. Sure. Right. And like, that's kind of how it feels with this, right? Like mm-hmm. Carmi grew up in Chicago and he probably worked in the restaurant at least a little bit, mm-hmm. but he's not from this world. He's from the world of fine dining. And like, there's always, if you leave home for a long time and then you have to come back, there's always a little bit of awkwardness, right? Like oh, the yeah. place changes while you're gone. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's always like, you know, it is home, but now home is different and you weren't there when it got different. And that's a driving force for Carmi. Like, that's a driving theme for Carmi over the course of season one. Yeah, and it was an active decision to leave home. I mean, because I think the changes mm-hmm. in home, like you're talking about, can occur whether it's like I went off to college or I did whatever. This was like everything. Like, I mean, he says it in that seven minute monologue everything he could to kind of get away and prove his brother wrong, whose approval he mm-hmm. thought he needed. And then, yeah, to just try so hard to leave that and then get sucked back in. Uh, and everything is so different and so unfamiliar to what he's used to it's right well and also i think something that you brought up is like 
the beef was probably at the top of their game and then they like complacency happened yeah. but also michael's addiction oh yeah 100 percent. Right? Like, he ta- he knows dive so the business knows mm-hmm. dive. and so now carmy's having to come back to what was once you know the beef uh, the original beef of chicago land you know yeah to see this like mess his brother left behind because his brother stopped caring yeah right and gave into his addiction and so he's got to like he's on his back toe and there's part of him that misses his brother but there's also part of him that's furious with his brother sure understandably right and so you end up with this like you know there's a great tension in all the characters right like nothing's ever solid for these people right Mm -hmm. even in the first episode in the pilot there's a little bit of a break when we get to family dinner right Mm -hmm. and there's a little bit of a breather and then immediately Carmi has to go deal with these video game nerds that are going to do this, like, Street Fighter, essentially, yep. tournament. And it's right back in it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we're right back into the chaos of it. Like, Carmi's getting the shit beat out of him by these nerds. And then, like, <laughs> Richie has to fire a gun in the air it's and call so good. and stuff. It's so great. Like, and as someone who plays, like, stupid games like that <laughs> competitively, <laughs> it was it's very funny. <laughs> um, uh, but, yeah, I... So that's kind of season one is season one is establishing this. And we talked about this a lot on the Jaws podcast. So there's when I, when I was in college doing my gen eds, I had to take, uh, you have to take a communication course as part of your gen eds. And I took, um, a class where I had to do a lot of group projects. Like it was a group communication class mm. and we went over the like dynamics of group forming. And so it's huh. called like, Forming, storming, norming, and performing. So you're Hell formed yeah. as a group, right? Um, you're formed as a group. You are thrown into a situation with people who are p- probably strangers to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but y- you And you have been given no choice but to work with these people, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that is something that happens as an adult in a workplace. Sure. Um, storming is like... Everyone's got their own personality. They've got their own thoughts of like how shit needs to go and like some people are leaders and some people are not leaders and then sometimes you may end up with too many leaders or sometimes you may end up with not enough leaders too so many cooks forming in the kitchen is, yeah <laughs> yeah and so forming is sort of that right forming yeah. is the sort of boundary testing where can i push my personality with this person where can i back off like figuring that out mm-hmm. norming is then also like very much reinforcing those boundaries of like okay there are clear-cut roles here now right like carmy is the head chef we respect Carmi. Carmi's word goes. Cousin's trying to cut in on that. We don't listen to Cousin anymore. And yeah. then there's performing, which is what we finally get to in season two. Yeah. Which is like, we've established a workflow. We know what we're doing. Now let's give these people the tools that they can. And there's a little bit of that, right? Like, it's much like the stages of grief. None of that is, like, that clear cut, right? Because, sure. like, Marcus immediately buys into the new vision for the... Oh, uh, yeah. For beef mm-hmm. right like he's sold immediately yeah um once he once he figures out carmy was nominated for a james beard award he's like oh you you understand this got it yeah and like sydney comes on and she's immediately bought in because she wants to work with carmy initially at least right um and so you know those two are like immediately sold so in C- in episode seven of season one when they kick off the um doordash orders Mm-hmm. And he's just a raging douchebag to everyone in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. They quit because they're like, yeah. this isn't what we signed up for. Like we knew this was going to be intense and there's a certain level of intensity, but like you are starting to like completely invalidate our experience here. Right. Like we're in this with you and you are not letting us be 
in this with you. Yeah. Please fucking stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by the end of episode eight of season one, Sydney comes back. Right. Right. Like that's how it ends. They find a bunch of money and some tomato sauce and that's what they, how they decide that they're going to rebrand um, into the bear is going to be the name of the restaurant. And mm-hmm. then in season two, it's a lot of like them having to like bring Marcus back at the beginning, but then they send Marcus off to like Copenhagen. Uh, yeah. Copenhagen to learn like pastry making mm-hmm. and, or dessert making. Like he becomes the dessert chef yeah. for the bear. And so that whole first season and a half or the first season and the half of the second season is that entire group dynamic. Right. Mm-hmm. Of, um, that, but at the same time in season two, there's this switch in Carmi where yeah. he starts to lose it a little bit. Right. Mm-hmm. He, um, he, uh, he gets distracted. He starts dating this girl and things are going pretty well for him outside of the restaurant and things are going like kind of shit for him inside the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And he's sort of a man torn between two things where he's like, I need to shepherd this, uh, new project that i'm doing but like i feel like no one's listening to me i've also been distracted people are asking me for like he's just stretched too thin Mm -hmm. and he also still hasn't really processed the death of his brother yeah that got him in this situation in the first place Mm -hmm. and it's been over the course of the show like a year now yeah so the show starts four months after his brother dies Mm -hmm. and then it's like it's a handful it's like roughly a year by the time we get to opening night of the bear which is the whole second season is them like doing a lot of construction on the restaurant. There's like right. way less cooking for the public mm-hmm. in, in season two. And it's such a, it's so interesting to go from season one, which is very like sort of a lot of blue collar stuff into like more of the actual like employment, you know, sort of taking a corporate uh, approach to yeah. what this restaurant is going to be. For sure. Um, and the thing is, it's just as stressful. <laughs> it really is. It's like, it almost seems like it shouldn't be. So season two, it's like the big underlying stressor is that there's like a literal countdown clock of when they have to have right. everything done. And I remember as I was watching it with Jordan, he's like, oh, I mean, that's like the big conflict. And it almost seems like a little trite because it's like it's established. And then you get a bunch of episodes of character work. Like characters get kind mm-hmm. of these full episodes devoted to them. But it's like that that tension is never there and it's kind of like how how season or episode three slowed down but like you still have that tension and anxiety in the back of your mind it's like you you kind of recognize it's there and, and then god by the time we actually get to the bear episode and carmy gets locked in the freezer oh my god yeah yeah oh my god they totally sideline him for the opening night of this thing he's been working on for yes, a year which is a wild thing to do to your main character so good it's such a great choice it's such like it's, perfect. it's so confident yes it's so confident in itself like it's just like yeah this is what we're doing and like this is the right decision yeah oh it's so good and and yeah, yeah absolutely just as stressful um fishes the the flashback christmas episode with a lot of big name celebrities which sounds like yeah. like three or four different things that should make it horrible television one of the best episodes it's so good i want to camp out on fishes for a little bit yeah for sure talk about confidence in your show yes. right like fishes is this episode that is a flashback Christmas episode with Jamie Lee Curtis, Bob Odenkirk, John Mulaney, John Bernthal, who's reprising a role, yep. Gillian Jacobs or Jillian Jacobs, um, who is Christopher Sorg's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else am I That missing? one chick who's always in the American War. Oh, Sarah Paulson. Sarah Paulson. Um, 
I feel like there's yeah, more. They all uh they all show up in this one episode and it is distracting. Um mm-hmm. to the point where like I was like, what is this show doing? Yeah. Right? When it first when it first started, I was like I don't like that John Mulaney's here because I don't think John Mulaney's a very good actor. No. Because <laughs> um, uh, he's so not. I was just, he's not. And so I was like, ah, John Mulaney, like Bob Odenkirk, like Bob Odenkirk's a great actor, but like, I don't need him in this. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they are distracting me. And like, I remember texting you about like, yeah. is that John Mulaney? Is that Bob Odenkirk? And you were like, wait till Jamie Lee Curtis shows up. And I was like, who? Yep. Like, you had, I didn't even know she was showing up. And I was like, that's so annoying. Like, I hate that. Mm-hmm. And it's the, probably my second favorite episode of the oh, show. Oh yeah. Show. It um, had all the hallmarks of being just trash television that was mm-hmm. failing and trying to get people back by bringing in big names. But it completely yeah. subverts any expectation with that. The way that they set it up, it seems like it's going to be bad and then it's amazing yeah yeah and it's like it, it's it, the reason why it works though still i think is the editing because it's so stressfully edited that you almost don't have time mm-hmm. to camp out on the fact that it's john mulaney and bob odenkirk and jamie lee curtis you know no 100 like, they don't so give it the shit time happening all the time no they don't it, there's no breathing room in that episode and like for like the 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 stress that comes in season two is much more existential yes. than the stress that comes from season one. The stress from season one is very immediate. It's mm-hmm. very, we got to get this done and we got to get it done yesterday. Yeah. The stress from season two is we got to get this done and we got to get this done by this time, mm-hmm. which is much more nebulous, right? Sure. Like working on a deadline is good, but for me at least, mm-hmm. I don't feel the pressure of a deadline until I do. Right. And I think most people mm. work that way. Yeah. I know that sounds like silly, but right. I don't feel it. No, until I'm, I'm the same way. over me. Right. And yeah. so like to set a date months in advance, I'm not really going to think about it until it's crunch time. Mm-hmm. And so for this, like they kind of can't afford to do it because of what a massive undertaking that is. Sure. And so it's a much more nebulous sort of stress. Mm-hmm. Episode seven fishes gets better. Episode six fishes. Yeah gets back to that immediate stress, right? Mm -hmm. We're in the kitchen with Jamie Lee Curtis. We're seeing her have the immediate stress of like preparing this meal for the Feast of Seven Fishes, right? Mm -hmm. And we also see a little bit of where that addiction comes from genetically, right? Like she drinks a lot. 100%. Um, And so uh, it's, it's this weird return to form that is also wrapped up in the sort of like trite trappings of what uh christmas episode is and then completely just turns it on its head and makes it absolute chaos no 100 percent. and like you said confident is such a good word for it to have like a flashback episode establishing things like a season and a half into your second mm-hmm. like what mm-hmm. like and, and mm-hmm. you get like like you said like glimpses of john bernthal in season one and oh my god is he so good in that episode he's so good in, season, in that episode oh man like and and heartbreaking like his depiction mm-hmm. of somebody struggling with addiction was so lived in and so like it's man it's i oh. well and go ahead no no, no go for it i'm like at a loss for words so, Season one, Michael, from my recollection, I didn't get a chance to really revisit season one, and it is two years old at this Mm -hmm. point, but season one, Michael, is, like, they portray him as, like, 
a sort of sad clown a little bit. Yes. Like he's very jovial. He's very welcoming. He loves his, it's clear he loves his family. It's clear he's trying to do right by them. Mm-hmm. It's clear he wants to do the right thing. It's clear they love him. Yeah. Um, but he's sneaking drinks and he's, sure. you know, he's sneaking pills. He's popping shit behind people's backs. Episode six fishes of season Oof. two is like, in the heart of his addiction, right? Like, yeah. He is, he has burned a lot of goodwill from these people. They do still love him. They do still care about him because they remember who he was prior to his addiction. Mm-hmm. And it is clear that it's starting to take a hold of him. And then it culminates in this like super intense confrontation between him and Oh Bob my Odenberg. God, it's so good. And it's incredible. It is like some career best work from John Bernthal and Bob yes. Kirk. Like they're both incredible. It's so in uncomfortable. It's, oh mm-hmm. my God, it's so good. Mm-hmm. But then you also get this sense, and this is where like the writing is so strong. Yeah. You get the sense of where, where all the brokenness in the family comes from. And it comes from the dad not being around first off right mm-hmm. like because richie even has a joke about his uh carby's deadbeat dad yeah. in the first episode mm-hmm. in the pilot and so pops isn't around but then jamie lee curtis is insane oh absolutely. right like she's 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 wait she is also probably a bit of an alcoholic if like at the very least a problem drinker yeah but she's also super dramatic mm-hmm. and so like Everything is like the most like is a 10 to her. Yeah. Which is so you get to see where they learned this. Right. It's the the Ted Lasso quote of like, I love getting to meet people's parents. It's like an instruction book. That is the, how yeah. Nuts. Yeah. And like the, this show does illustrates that so wonderfully. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it is not you can see every you, you've seen you see Michael's addiction in her. But you also see Carmi's like the way he cracks under pressure. Yeah in her as well like carmy's not great under pressure Mm -hmm. at all he takes it on because he feels a responsibility to it but he kind of sucks at it oh he's yeah it's horrible yeah and you Um, see why you see that in the yeah and you see that from his mom right like she drives her car through the damn house you know like she's just prone to these like super dramatic reactions right she's very all or nothing and carmy is very all or nothing Mm -hmm. and i think to a certain extent michael was very all or nothing but michael found solace in substances and carmy does not want to repeat that mistake so he just like deals with it until he can't Mm -hmm. oh my god and then it's a breather, a break from all of that fucking chaos is you do get that very sweet moment with Richie and Gillian Jacobs, who was, right. we find out, yeah. was his, his then wife, right? Where they were married. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Ugh. Which felt well, so and lived like, in and I wanna... sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great, great scene. And I want to talk about Richie because Richie is my favorite character on the show. Yep. Um, So good. He is he starts off as this total douchebag, right? Like he's like sexist and racist and like Mm -hmm. just an asshole. Right. And over the course of the show, like you kind of start to see why, like he feels like he's got something to prove. He feels like he's, you know, there's, there's a part where in the DoorDash episode where Sydney calls him a loser and like monologues at him about like everyone here sees you for what you are. You're nothing but a fucking yeah. loser. And I bet your daughter feels the same way. And like mm. that clearly gets to him. Right. Yeah. Like, she, it's a low blow. Like she should not have done that. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, cause it's, I think is if there's one thing that is clear about Richie, it is that he does care about his daughter. Right. Because even yeah. in the pilot, like he's talking, he's, you know, talking about how great she was in this recital that she had. Mm-hmm. And so he's clearly, like, trying to do right by his ex-wife and specifically by his daughter, right? Yeah. Like, he is 
he's kind of a dipshit and but he's also pretty loyal you know like he yeah. does feel some obligation to carmy well and you know, acutely aware of carmy his failures. From the, like he's he's exactly. no stranger to the fact that he is fucked up. Like, I mean, you like you said, like the right. bravado you can tell is there to cover for the fact that he knows, like he's not actually a part of the Brazado family. Like, and they kind of make mm. fun of him for that. And like, you know, he's not really their cousin. He's not really a part of it. He's just kind of right. like a hangaround kid. And and mm-hmm. you know, he he's not like a good chef. He's not any of these things. He wasn't like does, I'm sure doesn't consider himself to be a good father. Wasn't a good husband. All these things. So like, it's not like he doesn't know that. And Season two just gives him such a good chance to like, mm-hmm. just just man shine so much growth and and just mm-hmm. his pitfalls and him hitting his rock bottom. It's just it's so beautifully done. What it's an incredible actor. Yeah. So like to so in season two episode one he like has a full-on breakdown with carmy yeah right like he he is like i don't know where i fit in this establishment anymore like i don't have this training that you guys have i don't have the people skills which he kind of does he does good with people yes he's pretty good with people so it is this man who like he is he has kind of screwed up a little bit Mm -hmm. but he's not given himself grace to forgive himself for his failures 100 he has not been able to find what his strengths are and like from the beginning like he clearly is this very like gregarious dude who holds court, right? Like the mm-hmm. people who work there do really care about Richie. Like, yeah. They're like, yeah, he's kind of a prick, but he's our prick. Exactly. You know? And like when he's telling stories, like he's clearly a great storyteller. Mm-hmm. He's clearly very, 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 very street smart. Yes. Um, and he doesn't see that in the way, in what the restaurant is becoming. He does not see a place for that street. Yeah. And so, like any good leader, like, you know, when the pressure's off Carmi, he's a pretty good leader of his team. Mm-hmm. Um, and like any good leader, he s- ends up sending Richie to this high-end restaurant um, that is very, very, it's called Ever. Mm-hmm. And it's like very hoity-toity. Yeah. And they make him just polish forks yep. for like a few days. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And Richie hates it because of course he does because he doesn't want to polish forks. He wants to interact with people. Mm -hmm. But as he's polishing forks, he witnesses how this kitchen operates. He witnesses the ethos of like customer first that this place has. Yeah. Right. And like he gets an understanding and it finally clicks with him. Like what Carmi is trying to do with the bear. And I think it's such a great illustration of like, if you're too close to something, right? Because no one ever is telling him anything different than someone at the bear is telling. Right. But he's too close to those people, right? Mm-hmm. If someone close to you tells you some shit about yourself and you don't like it, you're going to be defensive. Yeah. But then if like a third party who kind of doesn't really care about you either way tells you that stuff, like that's why therapy is hey, great. I was right? just going to say is, the same thing. Yep. Therapist. Yeah. Therapy is a place to go where a third party calls you on your bullshit yep. either way, right? They, they either validate it or they tell you to stop. Mm-hmm. And like, like, I like my therapist a lot. And mm. I think my therapist likes me. My therapist doesn't actually care about me all that much. Sure. And that sounds counterintuitive, but to have a third party who's just like, yeah, you're right. Or no, don't do that. Yeah, like, it's... it's so refreshing. Like it just is this way to like take myself out of my own head and put myself into this person who like, like I said, doesn't actually care. Like I'm not friends with my therapist. No. You know, I don't hang out. With she doesn't them. listen to the podcast. Um, no, I, I mean, no, uh, I don't think so. Um, but, you know, <coughs> she's able to, like, as a result of that, she's this third party who doesn't care, which means she can just tell it like it is. Yeah. Right? And so it the people at Ever just, like, 
they find Richie's strength. They tell him what his strength is, which is what Carmi's been trying to teach him. Yeah. And they find out how good he is with people, right? Like, he ends up meeting with the head chef of Ever, played by Olivia Colman. Yes, so good. And doesn't even know, mm-hmm. right? Like, he's just, he views, like, Richie's strength is that no one's better or worse than anyone in his eyes. They're just people, yeah. and they're people he wants to get to know. Mm-hmm. And that episode, I'm even getting choked up talking about it. Like, it is so, it's so good. Mm -hmm. It's such a, like, it's not even, like, a redemption for Richie. Because it's not like he, like, did something he needs redemption for. But, like, you just see him, like, gain this confidence that you've known for a season and a half now that, like, if he just had that, he would be an unstoppable force on the the service floor. Yeah. And then we get to see him enact it, right? It's like Rocky, mm-hmm. right? Like, I very much compared that episode to, like, sports dramas with sure. an underdog that ends up overcoming. Yeah. Like, that's the tone of it, right? Oh, like, it is sure. Richie's Rocky moment. It's such a great episode of television. Oh, I love that episode so much. It's, it's so good. As you were saying, that it reminds me of, like, just as a teacher, like, they call it, like, the aha moment. Which for a lot of uh-huh. teachers, and it was for me, like that was the thing that made me want to teach was working with the student who was failing at something over and over and over again. And when they finally got the concept, it's like, it's a magical feeling. And so like as an audience to see someone who doesn't think they can do it, like you said, who is like a fuck up by a lot of standards, mm-hmm. but you see him like just work through what he's working through and realize that he can show himself grace, that he does have worth, that he does have a place to fit in. You're just like, yeah, by the end of the episode, it's so good. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, because, like, he does this great thing where, like, he overhears this woman on the service floor say that she wanted to try Chicago deep yes! pizza while she was oh, there. And she so good. So he makes one of the dudes go and get a pizza. But then he, like, gussies it up, right? Like, uh-huh. he makes it into a donut or whatever. And, like, it, it's this great moment where, like, Richie, it, Richie working at the bear mm-hmm. or the beef would have never thought about that. Yeah. But Richie in this, like, place where it kind of doesn't matter, mm-hmm. it's great. Like... I think that's the thing, too, is, like, you... uh, People have to operate in spaces where what they do doesn't have a lot of consequences. Mm -hmm. Like, this, like, testing ground, right? I think that's a very important space for people to have, where you can just try stuff out, right? Yeah. Um, You know, you get to find out a lot about yourself if there's less consequences for stuff, right? Like, um, you know, one of my favorite things to do at my job is go into the... Like, we have a testing... We have a software that I use on my day-to-day that has a testing environment. So I can go in there and try to break it as much as possible because if I, if I screw something up, it doesn't matter, right? I can unbreak it pretty mm. easily. Like that is a, there is, we call it the sandbox, right? You, and people need sandbox oh, okay, environments, for sure. right? Where like you can yeah. just go and try stuff out, right? And like you're mm-hmm. not going to screw anything up. You're not going to ruin your life, right? Like. Richie understands that like his time at ever is coming to a close. And so he's like, what if I tried this, you know? And so he takes a risk. Like it is a calculated risk and it's a risk he knows is probably going to pay off, but he doesn't clear it with anyone. He just makes a decision in the moment. And then it pays off Mm -hmm. immensely with both the customer and the rest of the staff at ever that see him do this. And they're like, Holy shit. Like you nailed it. Like that's exactly what we've been trying to teach you this whole time. And so now he's able to be like, Oh, okay. Well, I'm like, Richie, clearly operates out of instinct and has pretty good instincts when he puts them in the right like place and so to see him in episode seven like go and do that right go and put his instincts his good instincts to to use like Mm -hmm. and figure out that he can do this it's just it's such great storytelling Mm mm-hmm 
Oh, and back to back. I don't. I don't know if we mentioned mm-hmm. that, but that comes right after the Christmas. Episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like Richie has such important development in that because, like, yes, you know, it. I think it's clear that maybe his divorce wasn't his idea necessarily, but it was mm-hmm. a little bit his fault, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, I think he did genuinely kind of want to do right by his wife, um, but he's kind mm-hmm. of a screw up and he kind of made some bad decisions and like didn't do a lot of self work um, to sort of yeah. jeopardize that, that, that uh, relationship. But at the same time later, I don't remember if it's in that same episode. Um, we see him have a conversation with her post divorce and it seems like there's still some care there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, she's not totally shitty to him. Yeah. And she still clearly no. wants him to have his daughter in her life, right? Like... Yeah. So, they're, like, they're working on it and, like, you know, but with anything, even if, like, right, like, I am not in a position where I'm having to co-parent with someone or anything like that. But, like, there, mm-hmm. I know people who do co-parent and there is still, like, an arm's length that you have to keep those people at both ways, right? Right. Like, just for yeah. your own sanity. Um, but that doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, I think the people who do that, they don't mean ill will towards their ex-partner, though. Either. Sure. It's just like, look, we have this common goal. We have this person that we're trying to raise. I want them to have my, I want them to have their father or mother in their life. Um, but that doesn't mean, like, shit's ever going to be, like, super solid between us, right? And I yeah. think the, the the show shows that of, like, they're divorced. She clearly thinks it's for the best. It probably was for the best. But, yeah, you know, she still is like, well, this is the still the father of my child and he still wants to be there for her. And I'm going to allow him to do that. You know, like there's a there's a complication and there's a wrinkle in that relationship that if you yeah. are just like, you know, if he was just a douchebag to her, it would be a lot easier mm-hmm. for her to be like, no, like, fuck that dude, <laughs> you know. Or, like, if she was just as shrew to him, mm-hmm. which, like, how often do we see that? Where, like, the ex... I mean, he's already being, like, have the shit kicked out of him by life and by every circumstance. Yeah, like, good it, point. it would totally fit if he had a shrewish ex-wife mm-hmm. who's also, you know, shitting on him all the time. But it, it was nice. Like, I mean, she was a human, which mm-hmm. sounds crazy. But, you know, like, to have the, the female ex-wife character written as another mm-hmm. human who is caring and loving and stood up for herself and set her boundaries. It was like, oh... This is very healthy. This yeah. is, and it's Jillian Jacobs, and she does a great job. Yeah, and like I think the show is great in deter in showing like just a group of people trying to do their best, right? Like no yeah. one is irredeemable in the show. Yes, they have flaws, no. but like they're trying to figure it out. You know, like it's it's just a group of people who are trying to make the best decisions for themselves as possible to live like healthy mm-hmm. full lives and i think that there's something like weirdly wholesome about that um that we yeah. don't get in a lot of television right we talked about the other sort of prestige half hour quote comedies that are on tv like mm-hmm. barry like barry sucks like the show is incredible it's one of my favorite shows of yeah. all time but that character is a monster right like the, by oh, yeah. the end of the show there is absolutely totally. nothing redeeming about that man um no. and so it's it's nice to have a show that operates at a level of intensity of uncut gems. And even in uncut gems, like that dude sucks, right? Like Howard Ratner is oh, a yeah. piece of shit. Like he just, yeah, like he is. Th- that is a man in the midst of an addiction as well, right? A gambling addiction. Mm-hmm. And so to take yeah. the like sort of filmic style of uncut gems and apply it to these people who like, you care about all of them, right? Like, I, oh, yeah. I give a crap about Richie. Like, yeah, Richie's a little rough around the edges, but like, you know, it doesn't mean he's not somewhat well-meaning at a certain level. Right. 
Well, it's like we we know these people. They take the time to, Mm -hmm. I mean, establish them, like we said, with season Mm -hmm. one. But then especially in giving them, like, affording them kind of their own episodes. Like Tina, when Tina's singing karaoke, I'm, like, cheering for Tina. I'm so happy when Marcus gets to go to Copenhagen and meet Will Poulter. It's just, like, you you care about them. You love them. You understand their flaws because the show is not shy Mm -hmm. about, like, hiding their flaws from you. Like, you know that they can be pieces of shit. But it's, like you said, that's so true to real Mm -hmm. life. Like, we... We're trained to kind of want a clear protagonist and a clear antagonist, but that's not how life right. is because we are often our own protagonists and antagonists in our own story. And you see that with each of them. You see how they self-sabotage. Mm-hmm. You see how they mm-hmm. fuck each other over sometimes. The the effect that that's had, I mean, with that Christmas episode, the effect that that can potentially yeah. have for, you know, generations and years to come. But it's still, nobody, like you said, is irredeemable. Even Jamie Lee Curtis, I mean, makes an attempt at the end to yeah. kind of try to come it's and and she's just a piece of shit during the christmas episode you're like oh my god you're the worst Mm -hmm. mom ever like you do clearly love your kids but you have no idea of how to show that in any kind of healthy way it's yeah it's it feels very real it feels very familiar for someone who's i mean that's not true i have worked in a restaurant as a hostess in college Mm -hmm. but i mean i have no experience in a kitchen apart from my own kitchen like i have no base of reference for that um i do (laughs) i do have a frame of reference for for addiction and what that does to to oneself and to one's family but i mean a lot of that stuff i mean i didn't grow up in chicago in an italian family with that my parents were not like that thankfully but it's like you feel like you know them and you're in there with it because they take that time to just really kind of draw you in and establish it which is right the characters the acting editing well and i think you've also seen these people working in the you know the sort of hand hand food industry right like you know i've got my sandwich shop i like to go to and like they kind of they're kind of like the bear right (laughs) like you know it's maybe not as like at 11 intense right because there is some dramatic license you got to take to make a compelling television show but like Mm -hmm. i've interacted with people who are like carmy i've interacted with people who are like richie i've interacted with people who are like sydney like i've known these people in real life even you know they're types yeah yeah for sure and like mm -mm, it's it's good like it's well it's well done and it's well executed and it feels like uh you it feels like you you know can meet these people at whatever restaurant you go to tonight with your date or whatever you know um Mm -hmm. and it's just it's just because of how human and universal it is it's such compelling television right like I don't know. The older I get, the this is weird, right? The older I get, the and this may have a lot to do with the way in which franchise filmmaking has gone, but like the sort sure. of like fantastical stories are less interesting to me. Um, yeah, you know, and maybe that's just because the only two people doing it are Marvel and Star Wars, and like I have no interest in those. But right. like, they're like Dune. Like I liked the book. I read half the book, and I'll probably read the other half before mm-hmm. the new one comes out. But like I didn't like the movie. Um, yeah. But the movie took out all the stuff that I liked from the book. The movie was nothing but world building. Yeah. The movie was nothing but right. world building. The book, the first half of the book is nothing but politicking and it's rad. And mm-hmm. like because yeah. of that, like it it's I like that stuff, right? I like being in the characters' heads, right? Like I have a reputation for controversially liking Attack of the Clones as a film. And that has cool. everything to do with the fact that I like all the politicking in it right like that's yeah that's if the movie was a two-hour senate meeting it would be my favorite star wars movie like that'd be pretty sick i'm not gonna lie if it was just like here's space austria like i would just i would be way into it you know and 
you know, I am way into it as it is, right? It's one of my, it's in my top mm. five favorite Star Wars movies because I like the, and even though the, like the central, so the central mystery of Obi-Wan bopping around the galaxy makes zero sense. I really like Detective Obi-Wan. Like, yeah, cut the, that's cut fun. the, cut the Anakin Padme shit. Like that stuff sucks. But the like actual yeah. politics happening and all that, like, I love that stuff, but it's all what? character driven right all the stuff i like about that movie is the stuff that happens with the characters and so Mm -hmm. um yeah the old and like barry one of my favorite shows of all time it's all character driven and like i know i talked some shit about succession but like i think succession is very good i just don't have like a lot of patience for hour-long shows um but it's very character driven right like there's something about that it's nothing but character driven yeah um and so well, like you said in the last episode, the plot is very linear oh, yeah. and it stays the same the entire time, but the entire show is just characters right. and watching them go right. through. So yeah. like, yes, it, like, and I think that's what I was getting at when I mentioned that like I watched most of the first season and then the series finale, one, because I thought it would be funny, but two, the plot is still like in season, what, four or five, four of Succession, mm-hmm. they're still just vying for control of the company, which is what they're doing in season right. one. Right. Like the show is called succession. It's all about that. Like that is what the story is about. But yeah, I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously by the time that we get to that, like when I was watching it, I did not have the context of like everything these characters had gone through over the course of the show. I felt like I did because Mm -hmm. everyone talked about it online constantly. Um, But like I didn't have every last detail that like someone who watches the entire series start to finish would have. Um, But like Mm -hmm. as a story, it's yeah it, like you said it's pretty simple right like i got to the story like got to that finale and was like well i know what's happened in the story he died and then right. they have to make yeah. a vote to who gets the company and then this person mm-hmm. got the company and then these people are sad about it like that's what like it's secondary right like that is sure. the the story of succession is secondary to like how the characters experience the, characters. the story yeah well and the bear's kind of mm-hmm. similar it's like you have one basic kind of central conflict mm-hmm. And then all of this shit happening with the characters, some of it in the present, some of it in the past and for the you know context of season two. And it's just, it works. Like, I love it. It's it, give me more pared down, simple mm-hmm. stories with real people. Mm-hmm. Quit trying to add subversion for subversion's sake and think that that's clever. It's like, just show us real life mm-hmm. in a very specific setting. It's kind of like, like comedy that I find very funny is very specific comedy um, that's always very funny to me. So it's like story writing, just put it in a very specific setting in a world that like you really understand and that you want to be a character in the show and then just give us really good characters and then just let it go. And like, you don't need more than mm-hmm. that. Just give me a simple storyline, a simple conflict and good characters. And it's, and that's what this is. It's perfect. Yeah. I mean, that's right. Like I, we were talking about last week, my best of 2023 list had like two blockbusters on it, maybe one. Um, mm-hmm. and the rest was just movies about adults in rooms talking, you know, like yeah. I, that Julia Louis-Dreyfus movie is one of my favorite movies of the year. And it's just people talking about their feelings. Like that's it. Sure. That's the whole movie. Yeah. Um, you know, I really liked Oppenheimer. It's just about a guy, right? Like mm-hmm. it's just a dude. There's no reason that movie should have been released in IMAX. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> but it was, and it was rad. And like even Killers of the Flower Moon, it's three and a half hours of talking. That's it. And it's super compelling. Right. right you know i to compare it to a similarly you know a movie from earlier this year that's a similar length avatar 2 i don't give a shit about that movie movie's not good (laughs) and it's only 17 minutes it's It's only 17 minutes shorter than 
Killers of the Flower Moon. And I found Killers of the Flower yeah. Moon significantly more engrossing, despite the fact that it's nothing but people talking and Avatar has the like sure. whiz bang, you know, explosions and fake planet Earth cinematography. Yeah. You know, but with yeah. Avatar, I was just like, well, why would I watch this fake nature documentary when I can watch a real nature documentary? <laughs> Right. Well, that's, I, I was just thinking, like, our world is such, like, a spectacle right mm-hmm. now. I mean, I know we almost, like, joke about it also because we're millennials and we've lived through so many tragedies that we have to joke about it all. But it's like, there's just, at any given moment, the most outrageous shit is happening that sounds like it's straight out of some novel mm-hmm. or, or some, you know, like, horror series or something or... Like, there's always so much shit happening that, like, it's almost like we crave and long for just this sense of of normalcy. Even if that is a very stressful normalcy, at least that's familiar to us. Like, especially, I know a lot of millennials, I think, can relate to that kind of, like, whether a lot of us are discovering that we're, you know, neurodivergent. So whether it's, you know, OCD, ADHD, Uh it's like this show feels like normal. Mm -hmm. It's like depicting sometimes what it feels like in our brains and and what it feels like to have to go through trauma that we weren't necessarily taught how to do by our parents. It's like, I don't need, we don't need these big spectacles of things anymore because it's already happening in the real world. So it's like just return to this kind of seemingly boring, but just very simple thing. That's a reflection of what we need, what we crave. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's what we talked about at the end of the last episode is like, there's a reason this stuff is popular now, you know, like, yeah it is uh it is such counter programming to what we have right which is like our only options at the theater are just marvel shit you know and like now it's not right like i was looking today and there's still but the problem is we haven't made enough of that stuff to backfill um yeah for right sure. so like right now my options if i want to go see something there's anatomy of a fall which i do want to see although i don't know if i want to watch a two and a half hour movie about a marriage breaking down that sounds like a bummer i didn't know it was that Oof. long um and then killers of the fire moon which i've already seen but i do want to see again but that would be ooh, what seven hours of my life i've dedicated to that movie <laughs> um and i got that podcast coming up which means uh it's gonna be like what is that Ten and a half hours of my life all told. There you um, go. And so, like, that's a that's a big commitment. I can see Oppenheimer and IMAX, which I already saw, and I love. Also, three hour movie. Uh, <laughs> and mm-hmm. then the Meg Ryan movie, right? The the rom com with David Duchovny, and like, that's great. But like, I want more options of stuff like that. You know, like that's the stuff I want. Right. So I have four options, but our movie theaters have twenty fucking screens. You know and yeah yeah so like maybe i'll probably watch something here i don't know like i don't know what i've been wanting to watch on streaming or whatever and like honestly as far as my spectacle sort of fantastical stuff goes to i've been watching way more horror than i have anything sci-fi or fantasy or action or whatever you know yeah same um that seem that genre is pretty like pretty evergreen um you know there's there's pockets of good horror in every era and so Mm-hmm. right now like blockbuster stuff does not interest me at all yeah and like i would much rather go yeah. watch a bunch of adults deal with adult problems which is weird because like it's, it seems like you want to get away from that but also there's there's a uh is the ebert thing right of like movies or machines for empathy so like you want to go commiserate yeah. too right you want to go feel not as alone right so you go yeah. to these movies and you see them and you're like, oh yeah, I've been through something similar. Like that made me feel less alone. And 
yeah you know i like to operate from the idea that most people in the world are trying their best and so um you know yeah there are some people who aren't and that sucks but i think Mm -hmm. we're all trying to for the most part like any like you know level-headed person is just trying to figure it out and so it's important to have stories about people who are just trying to figure it out and that's Mm -hmm. what the bear is at its core but then it's got like very very compelling pacing and editing and structure to its season right like we've talked a lot about how i don't really love television as a medium because i think most shows can just be movies um Mm -hmm. and the bear feels like it has to be a television show like the bear yeah the bear is a show that justifies its episodes and it's Mm -hmm. very rare to come across that these days and i think half hour shows do it better um mm-hmm. than hour-long shows there it's very rare that i watch hour-long shows and be like this could have been a movie <laughs> especially if it goes multiple right. seasons um but the yeah. bear like feels like it is structured so intently as a show right mm-hmm. like like every second is mm-hmm. earned and you absolutely beautifully. well and even the another thing about the christmas episode that i didn't like initially is it's an hour-long episode of the bear and i was like i don't want an hour-long episode of the bear but it mm-hmm. is one of the only half hour shows i have seen justify an hour long episode like by the time i got to the Mm. end i was like oh i really went a lot of places with these people you know yeah um even in just this one context of this one holiday right so yeah it's perfect great 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 that and forks that yeah that and forks yeah and that's the other thing too is like i think much like episode one and two of the season one Episode six and seven mm-hmm. need to be taken as a unit, right? Like you yes. should dedicate the hour and a half to watching fishes and forks back to back. Right. And I, I think it kind of like, even by the, the names, the alliterative names shows you that, right? Yep. Like, e- like it's mm-hmm. clear that they've thought about that. Right. Because mm-hmm. I remember watching episode six i was before a pinball tournament and being like i'm exhausted like i need a break before the pinball tournament yeah and then i was like but i also want to find out what happens like where do we go from this like what you know why now like it's a show that is structured in a way that makes me think about why it's structured that way and i like that Mm -hmm. where it's like why did we have this episode as episode six of season two not only that why was it an hour like what did it do to justify it like yes it was compelling it was entertaining you know in a weird way Mm -hmm. and it was just like it was a wonderful showcase for these actors who are very good at acting but like yeah why did we need to spend an hour with all these people and then in the next episode it's mainly because of richie right like Mm -hmm. richie gets the emotional crux of fishes right he gets the break he gets the breather he gets the established like the really meaty backstory Mm -hmm. is richie's and like yes the scene with michael and bob and kirk is great but we know michael's an addict we know like we we don't learn anything new new about michael from that interaction right yeah we knew carmy had a fucked up home life like we didn't necessarily need to know the specifics although it was beautifully you know incorporated but yeah absolutely richie is the one who gets something Mm -hmm. new that we didn't necessarily get to see Mm -hmm. before and so because of that we get to see how like we get to then think about how he was reacting because Carmi's the main character of the show, right? But, like, we get to right. think about how he was because he is close to this family. He is just a family friend, but he is, yeah. you know, he's 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 a third brother to them, you know? He, mm-hmm. like, clearly is part of this family, right? Like, yeah. And so, you know, you get to see 
him interact with them and kind of be this outside party but also see how that affects him because he is still an outside party that's still part of the family you know he's got a he's got an interesting dynamic with the the brazados right where it's like mm-hmm. this is my family but it's not but it kind of is yeah you know, like i do still care about these people like they're my brother and my own mom you know and mm-hmm. like that does illustrate something we knew about richie which is his loyalty right like he does feel responsible yeah. for carmy a little bit like i don't think in episode season one in the pilot like him coming in and like talking about it being his house is like it i think it's it's well-intentioned if not like communicated mm-hmm. that way like i think he's still trying to just look out for carmy because he knows that he lost someone you know and right. he's like he just wants to make sure carmy's making the right decisions and not like he wants to make sure carmy's got a plan it seems like yeah um yeah it was like it's like with jamie lee curtis it's like you can tell that there's care and love there she just doesn't know how to show it in a healthy way you can tell that he very much cares and loves for this family that he cares for the establishment he just he doesn't have the tools like he doesn't get them until fork so he doesn't know like he's got good instincts he has good care Mm -hmm. but he doesn't have the tools to express that or to use them in a proper way Mm -hmm. yeah and you know who is like that most people exactly yes he's like our everyman yeah. he it goes more from sydney to him like we are richie mm-hmm. he's so freaking relatable in season yeah. two he's great in season two for someone who's not a divorced man with a, with a child i just i related to him so yeah. much in the emotional through lines that he has yeah done. there's a very human element to richie that's like great and abin moss Bacharach is so good so so he's good. incredible on this show. like on a show full of great performances he gives my favorite like he I think mine yeah. as well. He's just so lived in in that character, right? And just, like, his body language, like, conveys how... Like, he clearly wears his emotions on his sleeve. And... Yeah. He, he The physicality of his performance is something. He is wound so tight, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and Carmi is, too, right? Like, he's got this hunch and, like... You know, he's, he's, yeah. he's like... Carmi is, like... Jeremy Allen White is also very, very good in the show. Um, oh, sure. Like, he is, he is coiled like a viper the entire time he's on screen. Yeah, you see all the tension and where they carry it. Like, therapists will say, where do you mm-hmm. feel this? It's like, you can mm-hmm. see exactly where they're mm-hmm. carrying their tension at all times. Yeah. Well, and the funny thing between season one and season two is you can tell that Jeremy Allen White got on steroids. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> his arms are significantly smaller, but then he went and did that wrestling movie that's coming out later this year um uh-huh. and so like he had to bulk up for that and like the amount of muscle he put on between season one and two is ridiculous oh, and so like you're like oh yeah he, he he's on gear in season two um another thing i want to talk about is that the bear understands something that i think few people understand in the year 2023 and that is if you can put oliver platt in your thing you should put oliver platt in your was- thing Thank you. Okay, I was thinking, I was like, how can we bring up Oliver Platt in an organic way? But you just did it. Oh, my God. What an actor. I love him so much. Petition to put him in everything. He's wonderful. So lived Mm -hmm. in. His his choices are, like, bold but subdued. Mm -hmm. It's like, they're very strong choices, but he doesn't go over the top. It's just, he's perfect. He's so, so good as Uncle Jimmy. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, incredible performance. I... Man, I, I, I've always been a big Oliver Platt fan. Like, everything sure. he's in, I just think is... He's just... He's, like... He's not magnetic. I don't think that's the right word for him. But, like, he's very compelling as a performer. And, like, his yes. his performances are very 
every man as well, right? Like his mm-hmm. like most of his performances are like just a guy, <laughs> you know, like yeah. and yeah. and Jimmy is kind of just a guy, but you're just like ah oh, hell yeah, Oliver Platt. Like Oliver Platt is one of those actors that. I would think about from time to time and be like, you know who I haven't seen in a minute? Oliver Platt. I hope he's doing okay. Yeah. And so to see him pop up in the bear, I was like, yeah, good. Like, I'm, I'm glad that someone realized like, Hey, is there a way we could get Oliver Platt in this? Because if there is, we should probably do it. (laughs) And it's like, and his character is so interesting. Like he already, I think as a performer, like you said, is very compelling, Mm -hmm. not necessarily magnetic, but very compelling. He commands Mm -hmm. attention and respect. Mm -hmm. And his character is is so interesting because he is a frightening man. Right. Like you know that he's capable of some mm-hmm. shit, but he also is like so like jovial and like a vuncular yeah, yeah. and stuff. It's just, and he blends that so beautifully. And it's man, I, love I that also guy. love that guy. Like I was, I remember when he showed up in season one, just being like, "I'm in." Like yeah. this show has officially won me over. And to spend yep. more time with him in season two is great. Like they. It's it's great because they use him as this spice, right? Like they mm-hmm. they like the the show just has like dollops of Oliver Platt in it, and so it's the yep. perfect, it's this perfect always leave them wanting more, sort of yeah. um, energy about it. Where it's like, yeah, we could put Oliver Platt in every episode, but we shouldn't, right? Like that is not the care mm-hmm. because I know for me, if I landed Oliver Platt for my show, I would want to put him all over that thing. And so <laughs> he would be there. Yeah, exactly. And like <laughs> to understand that, like that's not the purpose the character serves, right? Like, despite yeah. the fact that we have Oliver Platt, who's incredible, that mm-hmm. character needs to just kind of pop in and out, and like so a little bit of chaos, but also a little bit of getting people on the right track. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, like that, like Gandalf. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like he is very much a supporting character. And mm-hmm. I think to get Oliver Platt to play that character and still have the restraint to not just lather the show in him is very, very, very right. smart. Yeah. Well, the show does it so well. They do the same thing. It's funny that you use the term spice because that's what I think of with their use of John Bernthal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, he is in it the perfect mm-hmm. amount. And it's it's wonderful when he's in it. Um, I don't need any more or less of him. Right. I mean, I kind of want a little bit more because he's so right. compelling. But it's it's just the perfect amount to season, and they know how to do that so well with their side characters. Mm-hmm. It's oh, so good. Yeah, great, great, great show. If you guys haven't seen it, I don't know why you listen to this episode, but you should, <laughs> you should check it out if you haven't. It's on Hulu. They're hate it's listening. An FX show. Also, thank you for listening. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have anything else to say about the bear? Um. I don't think so. I'm looking at my notes. I think we covered... Oh, you know, I, I will say shout out to Abby Elliott, who was never my favorite SNL cast member. I thought she was serviceable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Especially season mm-hmm. two. I really enjoyed her. She brings a, a softness that's very sweet mm-hmm. and welcoming. And and she's, you know, she's great. Yeah. Today so, I learned yeah. Abby Elliott was on Saturday Night Live. Oh, yeah, yep. yeah. For sure. No, they're... Yeah. And and Sydney's great too. I know we talked about her a little right. bit. The the males are so like such powerhouses. She is also incredible and holds her own with these guys she who are incredible is great. actors. She and... gets more to do in season two, um, but she's yes. a little bit by necessity a blank slate, right? Like she has to be the yeah. audience conduit, right? So she has to be. Yeah, yeah. She by function cannot get as much as the other people in the show, um, because she's 
us, mm-hmm. right? She has to she has to have enough room within her character for us to kind of like sit beside her in it. Right? Yeah, as an sure. observer. Um yeah. Uh Viza Colanzias, yeah, also great as it. Tina. Tina's awesome in season two. Oh yes. She's she's oh, so amazing. funny, man. She and she can sing. Yeah, she can sing like nobody's business. But it's man, it's just it's. I know that woman. I have met that woman so many times. Yes. You know, like yes, I know exactly her deal. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that cast is so so good. And even Maddie Matheson, like I yeah. was very skeptical about him being in the show, and sure. like because he's a he's lot. Hilarious. He is a lot. Mm-hmm. He is a loud, large man, <laughs> and like mm-hmm. to the point where. I have tried watching Maddie Matheson videos with other people and they're like, I can't deal with this guy. <laughs> um, and he is a loud, large man in the bear, but I think they use him yep. to great effect, especially like he's totally got oh, yes. that handyman vibe about him. Right. Like he, mm-hmm. he nails it. And like, he definitely feels like the blueprint for the character a little bit where it's like, or for the character mm-hmm. of Carmi a little bit. We're like, if you watch Matty Matheson, he knows what he's talking about, but he just sends it, right? Like, he just, he drowns his stuff in fat and seasoning. Mm-hmm. Like, he is very much over the top as a cook as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has a ton of back, like, back of house experience in in restaurants and stuff, sure. right? He's, you know, he's sort of Bourdain-y in that way, where, like, he mm. comes from that world, right? Like, he yeah he walks the talk you know, a little mm-hmm. bit. And like, he's got these stories. I've heard him on podcasts of like, you know, doing cocaine, right. In the right, like the, the, the sure. part where, uh, is it Sydney catches the dude doing meth in the, another SNL. Yeah. Isn't it Alex Moffat yeah. or somebody? Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Um, that was wild. yeah. Yeah. And, but not uncommon. No, from what I hear. not uncommon at all. And like, yeah, Danny Matheson has a story about doing so much cocaine as a chef that he ended up giving himself a heart attack. And so, oh, geez, like, that's lived in, right? That is an experience that Maddie Matheson yeah. had personally. Mm-hmm. And so it's not, I don't know, it's not, um, it's still real, you know? And yeah, Maddie slots sure. in very, very well as fact. Like, you know, the, you can tell they kind of held mm-hmm. off on using him a lot in season one because you do yeah. kind of, if you're unfamiliar with Maddie, you've really got to warm up to him a little bit like mm. and so then by season two like we know him as like the lovable goofball handyman that yeah. just like says dumb shit right and so we can use him a little yeah. bit more in season two and so he's got an expanded role mm-hmm. in it. and he's very funny in season two like doing all the repairs oh, yeah. and like finding more and more stuff that's wrong yes. and just being like, hey guys like this is <laughs> fucked and then being like well you can fix it and he's like not really <laughs> like right this isn't something that we can just put oh. a band-aid over you guys like <laughs> that kind of stuff and so yeah uh last thing i would like to talk about is there's great music throughout the show yes uh, a lot of wilco which makes sense because chicago band yeah um mm-hmm. the one take episode uh the doordash episode uses Sufjan Stevens Chicago from the Illinois the yeah, Come yeah. On Feel the Illinois album. Uh, I mm-hmm. really don't like that dude's music at all, but it's a great use of mm-hmm. that song and uh yeah. his particular brand of bullshit that I can't stand. It's very well it's very well earned. Um so mm-hmm. I was when I was watching it today I was like, man, any show that makes me okay with using Sufjan Stevens music <laughs> yeah, does a good job. There you go. Um yeah, the music's great. It never feels like it's that um on the nose 
Yeah, I agree. I was just reading an article this morning about how different it is than a lot of music usage in, like, prestige television. Mm-hmm. And just, like, the excessive use of, like, like you said, being on the nose where, like, needle drops and mm-hmm. stuff. Like, I'm thinking of, like, the air biopic. Yeah, oh, my which, yeah. which should be subtitled, colon, the needle oh drop. It's just... It's so annoying, and this would just, like the show, it felt very lived mm-hmm. in. There's a lot of, like, dad rock and just mm-hmm. kind of familiar stuff of that time and of that era. Like, you feel like it's what the characters would be listening to. It's things that would be kind of playing in the back of your mind mm-hmm. as you're going through it. It's just, it it's so unpretentious, right. and it's wonderful. Well, and even, like, the Taylor Swift stuff with... Uh... With Richie yeah. is great. Like, and uh-huh. I really don't like Taylor Swift's music either, but like, no, it's, neither it's do I. Neither perfect. Do I. <laughs> like, it's it's such a great idea for something, and mm-hmm. does make it feel lived in, right? Like, it's a little weird. Like, I understand yeah. there's licensing and stuff, but like, it's a little weird sure. that like, there shows set in the modern era don't have people constantly listening to Taylor Swift because that's what being right. alive in 2023 is, <laughs> you know, yep. whether you like it or not. And so yeah. like to actually acknowledge like, hey, we're going to use, like we're going to ground this in the modern day because it takes place in the present day. It makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, you know, it has Disney money behind it. So they're allowed to do that um, at sure. its core because it's an FX show, which is weird. I don't know how that works because the show does not air on FX. It airs exclusively on Hulu, but it said like FX presents huh. the bear, which is insane brand. Like I, that screams of like some sort of tax fraud to me. <laughs> uh, Allegedly. Funny. I have no proof of that. I'm not saying that that's what they're doing, sure. but like, it's very weird to be like, look at this FX show. You can only watch on Hulu. Yeah. Huh. I didn't realize yep. that. Weird. That part's hmm. weird. But anyway, Bear's great. Great, great show. Yeah. No complaints. Yep. You have anything else? Yeah. <laughs> um, No, I don't think so. I'm glad we finally got to talk yeah. about this. I know this is something you and I have talked about a lot, have texted mm-hmm. about a lot. I remember live texting with you as you were watching yeah. Fishes. <laughs> it's just, yeah, I, I know it, it means, a, it's a show that means a lot to us. And I know that we uh, can see a lot of ourselves in a lot of these mm-hmm. characters or experiences. And it's, it's just, man, I, I couldn't recommend it more. I feel like that's a show that I recommend without yeah. hesitation yeah. to to almost, like, anybody. There, I mean, because, you know, there's always that stuff where it's like, well, I don't know if so-and-so mm-hmm. would like it. This is just a good show. Yeah. Like, if you're a human being who's existed, like, it's a good show. You will find something that will speak to you in yeah. some way. Yeah, I think it's pretty universal as a, as a show, like, as an experience you can watch. And it's easy to watch. Like, it's, it is stressful, but there are only 30-minute yeah. episodes, and there's only 18 of them. Mm-hmm. right and they're funny they really i mean it's a comedy right yeah funny stuff does happen minutes. in every episode there's like at least one laugh in every episode right even yeah, like sure. there's like funny stuff in the christmas episode um that happens oh, yeah. like john mulaney's actually really good in that episode they like they he they is. write him very well they write to mulaney um which is interesting mm-hmm. because he's got such a specific voice but uh they yeah, yeah there's a great <laughs> scene where he has to say grace <laughs> yes it's so good good. he's so good at just being so uncomfortable by having to do that in the Mm -hmm. midst of this like showed this standoff between john bernthal and he's really great in that scene but then there's another great scene in that episode where like the fact brothers are hitting him up for money to sell baseball cards or something and he's just like Uh he's like 
he's this like shitty Ivy League dude, right? And so mm-hmm. he like he's looking at them like he's looking at wild animals, right? Like the, he's just so yeah. there's such a curio to him that he's like, I am mm-hmm. gonna give you this money because I want to see where this goes. <laughs> Right. He's so honest. Yeah. He's like, I don't, like, I think you're going to rip me off, but I want to see the way in which you're going to rip me off. And I was like, that's really funny. Like, it's such a funny character beat to put into a character we're Mm -hmm. probably not going to see again. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, like, I think it just stems from that the show is well thought out. Like, it's just a well done show. And, like, people can watch it and enjoy it. And it's very, it's weirdly easy, despite its stress, to, like, binge watch because of how short the episodes are. Yeah. that episode, that day I watched uh, Fishes and Forks. Like, I had watched two episodes before that. I watched four episodes in one sitting, which is not something I do um, at all. Yeah, I watched three and a half this yeah. morning. Like, just yeah. this morning. Yeah, and it made me yeah. want to, like, watching the pilot in episode seven of season one again to just kind of refresh myself. Mm-hmm. I really want to go back and watch the <laughs> show from the beginning. Oh, same. I'm probably going to have it on in the background yeah, all day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, great, great show. Uh, go watch it. It's on Hulu. Yep. It's worth it great performances all the way around also if you ever wanted to know yep. what gene wilder would look like if he was super hot now you have an answer um yep it's not timothy it's chalamet. not timothy chalamet uh timothy chalamet, yeah. whatever timothy chalamet is. is we've got wonka at home um yep yeah uh oh i have something i have an announcement i have a plug i yeah, have you sure I have, do i got a third podcast now um Woo-hoo. yeah by the time you're listening to this episode one is out um it is a spinoff offshoot of my other show let's jaws for a minute which is still also going on all three shows are going to be releasing while we're doing this heck yeah please help me do this full time <laughs> um <laughs> So it is called Let's Party with Marty, uh, which is a name I'm very proud of. And it is a Martin Scorsese podcast. And more specifically, uh, within the last couple of weeks, Martin Scorsese joined Letterboxd as a user. And he his yep. first uh, his first move um, on Letterboxd, besides having the funniest bio in all of Letterboxd, was to mm-hmm. uh, compile a list of 59 films that he considers companion films to the films that he has made. And so he in the list lists the 59 movies but then also lists why he views them as companions and to which film he views them as a companion to so sarah Mm -hmm. and i who are no strangers to deep dive podcasts and scorsese's our favorite director decided that what we're going to be doing is we're going to be watching all of the companion films as well as the corresponding martin scorsese film to sort of do this deep dive into the um the career, right? The body of work of Martin Scorsese, but also yeah. sort of a little bit, uh, as much as we can without one personally knowing him or being him, like the psyche, right? Like the 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 artistic yeah. intent of this man who is beloved and is mm-hmm. going to go down as one of the all time great artists, right? Like, oh yeah, 100%. this is like this is, and I say this on the show all the time. This is a man who like <laughs> is going to be mentioned in the same breath as like Monet and Michelangelo and Picasso and Beethoven yeah, and sure. the Beatles, right? Like he is he is yeah. that for film, right? And to have this, to have him just sort of join Letterbox and give us this access into his intellect and his way of a pro- like his ethos right his filmmaking ethos right yeah like, this isn't about his process this is about like his vibe right which i think is 
mm-hmm. more interesting of a way to approach yeah for sure something um anyway rant aside uh yeah we are going to be doing that that will be releasing every other tuesday episode zero is currently out which is just sort of the upfront mission statement and sort of explaining mm-hmm. why we think we are the people qualified the most to tackle this project um episode mm-hmm. zero is out right now um you can find it if you are a listener of let's jaws for a minute you can find it in the let's jaws for a minute feed uh but going forward um it's going to be on its own feed uh the show is called let's party with marty and martin scorsese podcast um you can find it probably everywhere you can find podcasts um but it is going to be its own feed it's going to have its own thing so give that a follow please um on your podcatcher of choice uh i know apple and spotify are probably the two biggest ones um logo may be current if not it's the one that has martin scorsese as a fish from shark tale um we probably will have a logo by then but i don't want to say anything i don't want to commit to it at this point um, because we're recording this before the, we have the logo. Um, so yeah, Let's Party with Marty is my third podcast. It is a deep dive into the filmography and the influences of uh, Martin Scorsese, which I'm very much looking forward to. It is going to be much like Let's Jaws for a Minute is different from this podcast. Uh, it's going to be different from Let's Jaws for a Minute because it's a much more, I don't know, academic, for lack of a better word, endeavor. Sure. Um, and I'm excited about it. And also... Three podcasts is a lot, so please go listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Missy, do you have anything you want to promote? Um, earlier this year, uh, three of the co-hosts of the show worked together on a oh, short yeah. film. Um, Corey has, yeah, has his YouTube channel, Real Filmmaking, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so he directed and wrote a short film called Moving Out, um, starring me and a friend of the show slash my boyfriend Jordan and Mike is also in it and uh, Corey's wife, Hannah. And that is on YouTube. So check out real filmmaking and watch our short film. Based on the Billy Joel song, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I play Anthony. (laughs) Uh, No, it's Yeah. Which is why, which is why every time you end a sentence, I think we've talked about on here. We like what? Oh jeez! No, I was gonna say it's it's short, which is we've talked oh. about on here. We we like short yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot to watch and consume. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's it's good. It's a it's a not happy ending. Rom- like I don't want to say romantic. It's about a relationship that that could have been and and kind of moving on past that. So it's, yeah, once it's again, good. very human, very you know dramatic. Which like the stuff we yeah. make is usually a little sillier than that. Um, so it's interesting mm-hmm. to like see like as we were growing up with our stuff, right? um but it's very good yeah. everyone's very good in it um thanks yep uh it is weird that you choose to end every sentence by saying ack 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 but i guess that is what anthony does oh. um stupid stupid joke i was curious where you're going with that i was like what oh, yeah yeah, yeah. Ack, 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 yep. ack, ack. god damn it <laughs> man i'm so mad at myself for saying that um you should yeah be. no you're right <laughs> this is what happens when we don't have mike and Corey to read this <laughs> <laughs> the thing is i think mike would have laughed at that harder than anyone else because he's a giant billy joel fan <laughs> that's, fair. that's fair uh yeah go watch the bear go watch moving out anthony song by Corey. T- oh it's moving on that's why okay I, okay <laughs> i just said the title wrong it's not moving out it's moving I, on but also listen to moving out by billy joel because it's it a, is great a great song. song who needs a house out in hackensack um is oh, that where goodness. you're moving in the <laughs> it should you're moving be. to hackensack um 
or unhinged. Yeah. yeah. Your character works at Mr. Cachetory Stan on Sullivan Street. Oh, goodness. Um, I have to stop. I have to stop. All right. We're the bad guys. Bye. Bye.